today's scripture is Luke chapter 6, verses 43 and 45. It can be found on page 863 in the Black Pew Bible in front of you. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Good morning, everyone. Hey, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to see everyone this morning. I'm glad you're here. Um, yeah, so let me start by saying that we are in a series looking at what I'm calling four dynamics of our mission statement, so I'm going to read it to us right now. Our mission as a church is to cultivate communities of transformed disciples of Jesus Christ who live for the glory of God. See, the, the fall is when all of our ministries kind of kick off, and that's why the fall is a really strategic moment to recalibrate as a church family. I've taken our mission statement and I've categorized it around four essential movements or four essential dynamics that will help us organize activity and help us form and focus seasonal goals as a church. Those four dynamics are cultivation, that's the work that we want to do, communion, that's who we want to work with, which is with God and one another, Transformation, that's the work that only God can do in our lives and hearts. And finally, vocation, that's how we live it out in every area of our lives. This week we're focusing on transformation, and the reason that I selected this text is because this metaphor calls attention to what's really happening in the conversion and sanctification and regeneration of the believer. In a world that's obsessed with self-improvement and self-awareness and self-care, God's word reminds us that good trees produce good fruit and bad, she- bad trees produce bad fruit and fake trees produce fake fruit. The point, the point of using a word like transformation is to undergird or underscore that you can, you can possess information, information about the gospel, information about Jesus in a way that doesn't produce transformation, doesn't produce kingdom fruit. There are theologians who study the Bible and have IQs which are way higher than mine, and I'm not saying that's a difficult thing, who don't, don't love God's word. Don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And you can possess inspiration from Jesus' life that doesn't produce kingdom fruit. And you can possess theological education in a way that doesn't reveal kingdom fruit. And you can try really, really hard, like we walked through and talked about two weeks ago when we talked about grace-empowered work of cultivation, But you can try really hard in a way that doesn't produce kingdom fruit. 
Because all those things can exist even when there is zero genuine transformation that's happened. Information doesn't guarantee transformation and education doesn't guarantee transformation and inspiration doesn't guarantee transformation. And I named those three in particular because there are thoughts and ideas and worldviews and ideologies in the world that try to preach that our biggest problem is that we're just ignorant, that we don't know enough. And this belief says that knowledge or science or understanding is all that we lack. And when we finally know enough, we'll achieve human flourishing, that our biggest problems are informational, are educational, but our biggest problems are not that we haven't discovered the secrets of the universe. And our biggest problem is not that we don't have good enough access to good enough education. And our biggest problem is not that we aren't motivated enough or inspired enough. A teacher that I used to have used to say that inspiration is like a breath mint. It dissolves over time. And then your breath is worse than it was before. This chapter of Luke exposes what human beings truly need. Listen to this scholar. He says, quote, Clearly then, the following, the following that Jesus seeks is a full-orbed one. His is a message that calls for total transformation with a consistency of goodness between the inside and the outside of a person. Even if the language of repentance is absent in this text, the idea of change of heart and change of life of a thorough reorientation around God's purpose is very much present. These people have been eager to come and eager to hear, and now they are put on notice that these are not enough, but neither is acting enough. Taken on its own, the practices for which Jesus is looking are generated out of the good treasure of the heart of a good person. They are not the consequences of posturing of those who want to appear pious. So let me, let me highlight here at the beginning a challenge that requires transformation from one of the parables that Jesus is rattling off in this section of Luke. The text immediately preceding our text, Jesus says, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you don't see the speck in your own eye? How can you say to your neighbor, friend, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself do not see the log that's sticking out of your own eye? How do we see something that we can't see? How do we change what we do about it? And we tend to run past verses like these because they are so familiar. But I want us to be a people that take these kinds of things to heart. So let's, let's receive that together this morning. Let's ask ourselves right now, what is it in your life that you criticize? What do you dislike? What do you see other people doing that you don't like? And that might be legitimate. Let me say that. It may be a thing that is bad for your friend to be doing. They may need to quit or need to stop a habit that is harming them. But Jesus says to us, we do the same thing or similar things or worse things. 
And I want us to ask this morning, why, why do we do that? Why do I do that? Why don't we see that we have habits and attitudes and immaturity and sin in our lives that's worse than the bad habits and bad attitudes and immaturities and sins that we see in other people's lives? Why don't we see it? Luke 6.46, right after our section of text this morning, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then not do what I tell you? Why is it so hard for us to absorb and inhabit real transformation? And we do it because we're broken people. We tend toward breaking things. And what we need, what we truly need, is more than what a TED Talk can give us this morning. What we truly need is more than what the YouTube videos that you stay up all night watching can do for you. What you need is deeper, and it's deeper than less stress or less anxiety, and it's deeper than more money or more sleep. What you need and what I need is to be transformed. Transformed from the inside out. What you need is more comprehensive than what a life coach can give you. And what you need is deeper than what estate planning or your retirement package can give you. What you need, you actually can't even get on your own. And that's why we say this is the work that only God can do. But I want to be clear when I say something like that, that I never, never mean passively. I never mean that we just sit the bench. I never mean complacency. We have to work. We have to work hard. But God brings the kind of transformation by his grace that brings real change and real growth here, not our efforts. What I mean is, is Paul planted and Apollos watered, but God brings the growth. 1 Corinthians 6.10 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. But we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So I've broken this down into four questions that I want to consider. But first, I'm going to pray for us. And would you all bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for making us alive. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the blessings in our lives that look like blessings and thank you for the challenges and obstacles in our lives that you are using to hammer sin and resistance and stiff-necked attitudes out of us. Thank you for the challenges and the difficulties that you don't take out of our lives so that we're changed, so that we're dependent on you, so that we look to you 
So God, I ask this morning, would you, would you give us humble hearts? Would you break up the soil of our hearts so that your word can be planted deeply and grow and bring forth fruit? Give us humility. Give us zeal and passion. Give us a desire to obey you and love you and look to you and submit more to you. Christ, would you come and take more ground in our hearts? You are king. You're king. Spirit of God, would you do this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to walk through just four sections or four uh, questions this morning about this text. I want to ask, does God really transform believers? And that's kind of a preliminary question that asks me to justify transformation being one of the focuses of our mission statement. The second question is, what makes a good tree? What makes a good tree? The third question is, what's the biblical connection between being and doing who we are and what God commands us to do? And then the fourth question is, what's, what, what, what's this mean? What's this mean for our lives? What does this mean as we kind of uh, receive it and then stand looking outward into every aspect of our mundane existence? So number one, does God really transform believers? And to, to talk about this, I want to back up and start by explaining a little bit of what we don't mean when we talk about transformation. Because you and I need to be clear on what we do mean and what we don't, and what we don't mean. So I'm going to ask some sort of hypothetical questions here and answer them for you. Do we mean adding a new uh, workout routine to our lives? Do we mean incorporating some sort of new diet or new protocol? Do we mean living our best life now? Do we mean unleashing the giant within? Do we mean tapping into our own personal potential? And let me say that the answer to all of those examples is a resounding no. No, that's not what we mean. We don't mean self-actualization. We don't mean self-improvement. We don't mean wellness applications. We mean whole person transformation. We mean being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit in our minds. We mean being given new hearts and affections. We mean seeing what we love change. Change. Seeing what we desire change. Seeing victory over sin. Seeing increased dependence on God. Seeing lives that shine with devotion and obedience to God. And seeing men and women living for the glory of God. Let me read from Ezekiel and Jeremiah to get at that. Ezekiel 36 26 says, I I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And then Jeremiah 32, 38 through 40 says, And they shall be my people, 
and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And that's plain. If you're a Christian in this room this morning, you're a Christian because God gave you a new heart. He gave you a new heart. We pray... We pray with our daughters. My wife and I pray with our daughters every single night before they go to bed. And the content of our prayers change. And some nights, some nights they wander more than others. But every night we reel them in and we pray, God, would you give Lucia compassion? Would you give her a new heart? God, would you give Prudence compassion? And would you give her a new heart? Every night, those are the last two things that we pray before our girls go to sleep. And brothers and sisters, we pray that way because God's, like Ron prayed, God's not in the business of polishing rocks. He doesn't want to just glam up our stony hearts or decorate them. He promises to transform them. Transform them. He's not in the business of mere self-improvement. He's in the business of renewal and restoration and recreation. That's why Jesus says, if you want to know how to get into his kingdom, you have to be born into it. You want to know how to be a part of the family of God, you have to be adopted by the Father and made a part of his family. You want to know how to be a child of the light, a child of the day instead of darkness. God has to transform you and make you something different, something new, something different than what you used to be. Christians are not playing church. We're here for death and resurrection. God's not in the business of facelifts or makeovers. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's gone. Behold, everything's new. And I get it. I get it that we don't always feel new. Why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't I feel new, always feel new. Why, why, do I, why don't I do the things that I want to do? Or why can't I stop doing the things that I don't want to do right now? Right now, like Paul says in Romans 7. The biblical reality is that God doesn't take our hearts of stone out like a kidney gets removed for a kidney transplant. The biblical kind of theological concept is progressive sanctification. Slowly, over time, he transformed the stone into flesh. The believer's status, the believer's station before God is transformed in an instant. In an instant, you go from being guilty to being called not guilty. You get imputed righteousness. You're justified in the courtroom of God in an instant. And then our increasing growth, increasing growth in godly activity and our increasing holiness in the life of our hearts continues to grow and develop and change throughout the course of our lives. In many ways, the struggle for a Christian is the struggle to become what you already are in Christ. And I don't want you to let that discourage you this morning because really that information should comfort you. 
It's good news for you because that means you don't have to pretend to be farther along than you really are. You don't have to pretend to know everything. You don't have to pretend that you aren't your own worst enemy. You don't have to pretend that you don't fail or sin or get it wrong a lot of the time. Because because I don't believe, even for a second, that any of us in this room aren't a work in progress, including me. So, in this place, there's no pressure to be perfect here. There's no pressure to have all your ducks in a row. There's no pressure to prove to anybody here that you belong. But there is a constant invitation to be honest with yourself, to be honest with other people, to be real with yourself and the rest of us. That's the invitation to own immaturity or own sin or own failure. And by doing that, experience the freedom that only comes from full dependence on Jesus Christ. We don't feel freedom when we mess up in our lives, often because somewhere down in our hearts, we think we'll get to a point where we stop messing up. And friends, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. You are new, and he's making you new. God's not in the business of power-washing tombstones. He gets you out of the grave. He transforms us and keeps transforming us from the inside out. The next question I want to ask is, what makes a good tree? And here I want to begin by encouraging you and reminding you that you couldn't do it. Again, the prophet Jeremiah Jeremiah 13, 23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil? And the answer to that question is no. We're incapable of changing our nature. You can't make yourself not dead anymore. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. God made alive. God made alive. And only God can do that. The text we have this morning says you can't get figs from thorn bushes and you can't get grapes from a bramble bush. The issue with the human heart is one of moral inability. It's a matter of complete nature recreation. You have to go from being a bramble bush to being a vine if you want to have any hope of getting grapes. You have to be transformed from a thorn tree into a fig tree in order for figs to grow. Hanging wax fruit on a thorn tree doesn't change the tree. You can't fake it and you can't force it. Only God can make you a good tree. Titus 3, 4 through 7 summarizes the the gospel in a really succinct way that I want to take a second to read at this point. Titus says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Regeneration is the language of a good tree. A new heart, a heart that loves God and longs to obey him. And not because it's burdensome, but because our desires are increasingly aligned with his commands. That's what a good tree is. It's a heart that's submitted to God and living every day in faith, seeking to see more and more fruit in their lives, more godly conduct, both, both internally and outwardly and externally. Listen to this quote. Transformation is not switching from the to-do list of the flesh to the to-do list of the law. Galatians 5 makes a clear contrast, and that is works contrasted with fruit. The contrast is jarring. Galatians 5 doesn't say Stop the works of the flesh and start the works of the Spirit. Stop the works of the flesh and live out the fruit of the Spirit of God in your lives. The Christian alternative to immoral behavior is not a list of moral behaviors. It's the triumphant power and transformation of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our treasure. God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not the letter, but the Spirit. For the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. So transformation is a profound, blood-bought, spirit-wrought change from the inside out, end quote. That's, that's what it means to be a good tree, a tree that can produce real spiritual fruit, good and healthy, living, spiritual, human conduct in our lives. Number three, what does this mean for the connection between being and doing? And I bring this question up and I word it that way on purpose because there's a tendency to kind of pull those realities apart in some popular teachings these days. And I want us to have a good understanding of how they are related to each other. Some teachings focus on the doing of Christianity. There are even churches out there that don't believe the Bible or don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and yet they might organize and spend a lot of money on focusing on doing acts of service or acts of social benefit. And then we also have churches out there that only focus on internal spiritual realities. These places put all the emphasis on being loved, all the emphasis on being accepted and belonging and welcoming and being delighted in by your heavenly father. And that's true. That's good. And that's right. And what we see in our text this morning is an interconnected relationship between who we are and how we live. There's an interconnected relationship between being and doing. The interconnected relationship between the, the facts of the gospel, of our standing before God, of our adoption as sons and daughters, and the commands. 
the indicative and the imperative. The commands in the scriptures and indeed even the instructions in the gospel of Luke that precede our text are impossible without first being changed. Who we are and what we are has to change before we can live lives that are pleasing to God. The truth is, is that you can't bless those who curse you. You can't love your enemies on your own. You can't do good to those who hate you. And you won't pray for those who abuse you. You won't be able to do that unless a deep transformation has already occurred. And God's given you a new heart. But when God makes somebody a good tree, when someone's been changed from the inside out, there's always fruit. There's always fruit. There's always evidence on the outside. He doesn't take any, he doesn't make any barren trees. Living a life that looks like it doesn't have any fruit is an example of bad fruit. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins, James tells us. God doesn't have dormant fruit trees. There are good and bad trees. There's good fruit and bad fruit, and those are the only options. Just because we can't always distinguish the difference doesn't mean the difference isn't there. But our motives, our motives as believers, as we try to live out our lives as believers, our motives are always going to be imperfect, right? They'll never be perfectly pure in this life. They'll always be mixed and that doesn't mean we don't try to do good works anymore. Let me, let me free everybody in this room and admit with you that sometimes we'll be hypocrites. Sometimes we will. Sometimes we'll be hypocrites, but that doesn't mean we stop trying. It means we get the opportunity to repent of our hypocrisy and keep going forward. We should resist a really stark separation from who we are and what we are and what we do. Just like you would resist a stark separation between an apple and the apple tree that it was picked from, we should be eager to find opportunities to obey the commands of Scripture because we understand and love and are grateful for what God has done. You've been adopted, so you get to live like God's child because you're not an orphan anymore. You've been forgiven, so you get the opportunity to forgive other people in your life. You've been given grace and mercy, so you get the opportunity to extend grace and mercy even when it looks impossible. God created you, and he called you, and he put you here for fruit-bearing. So open your eyes, look for opportunities to live that out. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Those works are what fruit means in these verses from Luke's gospel. We're God's field. We're God's building. We are the fruit of what God's doing in the world. And the way he does that is transforming wretches into co-heirs with Jesus for fruit, for good works, for obedience. So lastly, the fourth question this morning is, what does that, what does that mean? What does that mean for our lives? 
And here, I want to give one exhortation and one warning. I want to take the opportunity to exhort us to, to be fruit-bearing trees. I want us to be motivated to see the grace of God at work in our lives through explicit examples of growth and transformation. Many of us have struggles or difficulties in our lives that we might think will never change. And I want to encourage us that if the change isn't happening just like we're asking, then God is doing something else in that moment other than what we might be asking for. But don't give up. Don't give in and don't give up on the biggest prayers in your life. Don't give up on seeing God change your very disposition or wiring or something that you think will never change about yourself. Don't give up on some good that you long to see the Holy Spirit accomplish in your life. That's, that's the exhortation. And then the warning that I want to give us this morning is that doing outside actions isn't optional, but merely doing outside actions also isn't enough. If you find yourself listening to the commands of Jesus and thinking, if you're honest, that you can do all of those things in your own strength and for your own glory, then you're, then you're mistaken. You're mistaken because truly doing what Jesus says is always necessarily connected to your obedience from the heart. Doing what Jesus said is necessarily connected to the posture and disposition of your heart. If we're faking it or playing church and we don't love Jesus, if we're, if, we're, if we're feigning praise or pretending that he's the Lord of our lives, then there's a warning for us in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7 says, in verses 21 and 20 to 23, he says, not everyone, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So Jesus also says in verse 46 from Luke, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you say you follow me, but then at the end of the day, pick your own path? Why do you listen and not obey? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, means it. And texts like this are in the scriptures to be sobering. Texts like this are meant to cause us to examine our hearts and examine our lives and ask what fruit is evident from our lives. And no fruit is as good as rotten fruit. What do we do? What do we do and what, do we, and what we say reveals what's really going on inside our hearts. And if we find sin or immaturity or opportunities for growth in our hearts, that's really just God's fatherly kindness to us. We can own whatever gets exposed and live free from the pressure of pretending, free from the, the pressure to pretend that you're something that you're not. 
You see, the grace-empowered work that we do in our lives demonstrates what kind of tree we are. And the fruit in our lives is our blood-bought, spirit-empowered conduct. The good works that God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. The dynamic of transformation emphasizes that we're after deep change in this church, the kind of change that turns a bad tree into a good tree, or or the kind of transformation that turns a bramble into a fig tree. Our emphasis on transformation highlights total dependence on the Spirit of God as we labor. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the the Lord who is the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God in you that empowers you to see the glory of God and love it. The Spirit of God empowers us to look at Jesus on the cross, bloody and beaten and dying, and see glory instead of foolishness. It's the Spirit of God that empowers us to look at the life of Christ and see glory instead of confusion. The Spirit of God empowers us to behold the glory of Christ in a way that continues to transform us day after day after day. Transformation is the work that only God can do, and he doesn't do it in isolation. He doesn't do it in isolation. He does it through your annoying spouse. He does it through your frustrating boss. He does it through an angry church member. He does it when he th- we think he can't do it. He does it when we are not looking for it. When we're busy looking for a way out, that's when he's transforming us. That's when he's closing in on us with the kind of pressure or the kind of crucible that turns coal into diamonds. So take heart and have courage. He transforms us through this body, through being connected to people that we might not even like. Believers in communion with God and communion with one another is the context in which change happens. And so I want to ask in closing, man, yeah, what would, what would our church look like if we settled for nothing less than inside-out transformation for ourselves and for our brothers and our sisters? Jesus changes everything, everything. Jesus is not our personal trainer. He's not a bumper sticker. This church is not merely a social outlet. Jesus Christ changes everything. And he's transforming us in a way that only he can. And what would it look like? What would it look like if we were devoted or zealous to see God show us specks and logs in our own eyes with zeal? first, and then serve one another next. Let's pray.
triune God, we invite you to invade every aspect of our lives. We invite you to invade every attitude and every judgment, every rut and routine of our hearts and challenge us and knock us out of the natural inertia that we find ourselves in. We invite you to expose darkness in our hearts and in our church and in our lives. We invite you to expose weakness or immaturity or malnourishment in our hearts and lives. We invite you to point these things out because we know you provide the grace to repent, to change, to move forward, to lean on you in, in total dependence. Would you transform us and would you give us a heart for transformation? Would you give us the determined attitude and stance for becoming more like Jesus? Would you fill us with longing and yearning to see sin cut out of our lives or even just things that weigh us down cut out of our lives? Would you fill us with desire for that? Would you renew our minds? Would you give our hearts new affection? Would you give us a burden to see our friends and our brothers and sisters in this place experience the transformation that only you can bring? Would you do that again today in a powerful way, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.